We are in Acts chapter 15, finishing up. And um, most of you guys have been here as we've gone through this, but I just want to remind you what's been going on. We, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at dealing with this issue of Judaizers who uh, keep wanting to add the law or they want to add circumcision to the gospel. They want to add to it. Remember, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch to go take the gospel westward. And it wasn't the celebrity church of Jerusalem that was really going to end up being the most influential church of that time. It's really Antioch. The ones that sent Paul and Barnabas out. It was the Hellenistic Jew church. It was the, it was the church where Gentiles and Jews were together because in Jerusalem, it was primarily Jewish. And so Paul and Barnabas go out, and they come back, and they realize that people have been trying to spread this heresy within in the church. And so they defend it, and they get wisdom from all the leaders and say, we need to go down to Jer- or up to Jerusalem and get some input from the, the mother church, from the spiritual leaders of our faith. And why was that so important? Well, last week we talked about the two errors that really flow out of that. First of all, is a it's a really a distorted or perverted view of biblical salvation. Biblical salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. Grace is not grace when you add anything to it. If there's any requirement added to it. So when somebody today says, hey, if, have you been baptized? Well, no, not yet. Well, then you're not saved. You need to get baptized. They're adding a work to salvation. When somebody says, if you don't take communion before you die, you're in, you're in danger of going to hell because that's what saves you. They're adding to salvation. When somebody says, if you don't speak in tongues, if they say you're not part of this church, whatever the requirement is, if it's added to Jesus and Jesus alone, it is anathema, Paul says. It's a, you should be accursed. He says, even if I bring you something different than what we first brought you. And so it destroys a biblical view of salvation. Second thing it does, we saw, is it destroys the unity of the church. When you start saying, well, you have to become a Jew... You're saying that these people are second-class believers. They're separated. Why? Because they don't know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't know about the Torah. They don't know about the Shema. They don't know about God delivering His people. They don't know about King David or King Joash or Josiah. And they're, they're just not like us. And so it created a vision. And that's why they were so adamant. And remember... Over the last few weeks, as as we were looking at this, we talked about some principles that you stand firm against false teaching was the first thing we said. Second, that you need to seek wisdom from your faith community leaders when you have these areas of spiritual divisiveness. Third, we said you got to stay grounded in God's Word. His Word is the authority. Fourth, you stay true to the Gospel. Don't add to it. Don't, don't add to it. Like Paul says, may they be accursed, anyone who adds to it. And five, 
Be sensitive to those you're trying to reach. So that, that's kind of been the backdrop of the last few weeks. Well, what Satan, I believe, tried to do was come in and destroy the success of what was going on by bringing this division. These men went without biblical authority to go up there. They went without church authority to go up there. In fact, we read last week, they said, we didn't send these guys up there. They were apologetic about it. And, and so Satan tried to divide it. The council spoke. Everybody, they went away in peace and it was all good. Except Satan goes, okay, you know what? Let me try a different tactic. Let me take the two shining stars and let me split them up. Let me come in between them. Listen, anytime you have a disagreement over mission, how to accomplish a mission, often it's awkward and it can get ugly. And listen, there's many ways, many ways to do ministry. There's many ways to share the gospel, many ways to disciple. And a lot of times when people have different ideas, especially with strong personalities, they clash. And sometimes those clashes are very awkward and they can be very painful. If you've been in ministry any amount of time, or you've been ministering as a minister out there, as a kingdom priest, you've experienced that probably. I was asked one time by a pastor in a church in North Carolina just to leave. He said, listen, you need to leave. You need to take your family and you need to go. Because, you know, we're not changing here. And the reason was, I went to him because he was teaching what you espoused earlier. He had gone to a particular crusade. They came back to the church and said, if you don't do this, you're not really a believer. And I go, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? What do you mean? Show me in Scripture where it says that. And he said, well, I'm not prepared to debate you today. And I go, well, wait a minute, you're the pastor. You're teaching this. What do you mean you're not prepared to debate it? All I want to, I'm just asking you to show me in Scripture where it's at. And I said, listen, I, I, I'm in the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps at the time. I said, I'm a pilot. If I'm up at 50,000 feet, I've got to know what I'm doing. You're teaching this stuff. You need to know where the basis of Scripture of it is. And I was leading the youth group with Lori at that time as a volunteer. And he said, well, y- y'all need to leave because we're not going to change anything. And that was painful because that was our family. And, and it was all gone in a moment. Literally within one weekend, it was going away. And we're like, what's wrong? I mean, I thought we loved each other. You know, I thought we were all together for the mission. Well, what we look at today and we look at Paul and Barnabas, we see two guys who are Man, they have risked their life for the gospel. And they get divided. They get sideways. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. And so as we look at this text, it's only six (coughs) verses, but it is so powerful. And Luke didn't have to put it in there. This is one reason I love uh, the way God did things in the Bible. He reveals the good, the bad, the ugly. He reveals even the humanness And I believe, really guys, that one thing that happens out of this, this Barnabas-Paul split, is 
God brings them back down to reality in the eyes of the people around them. Because you've got to remember, they, they were being applauded. People, even when they were in Galatia over in that region, they were saying, these guys are like Zeus and Hermes. They're amazing. Do you know how easy that would be to go to your head? And they're going down to, they're debating the, this issue. They go to Jerusalem and, and James and the other brothers are saying, these guys have risked their life for the gospel. And what happens is God reveals that these guys are human like me and you. They have personality conflicts. They have ideological differences sometimes. And God shows us the reality that even in spite of that, the church flourishes and continues. God will take even even things like this and He will bring glory to His name out of it. And so, as we look at this text, I want to just point out three things today. And we're going to go through the text, but I want you to think about these as when we as kingdom priests disagree with each other. All right, Because we all are on an equal playing field as kingdom <coughs> priests, right? Would you agree with that? I know sometimes we tend to put the pastors up at an elevated position, but it, and if they're serving as an elder in our church, they are under-shepherds for Jesus, leading our faith community. But we are all kingdom priests, and we may have different ideas, and we need to remember these things. First of all, is that relational encouragers are vulnerable to minimizing the truth for the sake of relationship. Barnabas was a relational encourager. He was highly relational, cared very much about people who might be discouraged. And so we need to remember, if, if you've got a relational encourager in your church, sometimes they might be apt to minimize the truth for the sake of relationship. And that's a vulnerability we need to be aware of. Second thing, dogmatic leaders, which I would qualify as a dogmatic leader, very black and white about issues. I mean, this is right, this is wrong, mission-driven, that's me. The Marine Corps just added fuel to that fire. The law enforcement background just added fuel to that fire. But I'm very dogmatic in the way I think about things and the way we, things ought to be accomplished. Brad? Would you agree with that? <laughs> Poor Brad has had to walk with me on more than one occasion through working through some of this stuff. And at first you can almost perceive it as, well, he's wrong, I'm right. And notice that Luke doesn't make a statement about either one of these guys being right or wrong necessarily. There might be a little clue that the church might have sided with Paul a little bit, and I'll get to that in the text in a second. But dogmatic leaders are also vulnerable. And what they're vulnerable to is to discarding valuable kingdom people, priests, for their view of mission-driven strategy. I know that's a mouthful, but a dogmatic leader is also vulnerable to discarding valuable kingdom priests for their view of a mission-driven strategy. So you have two vulnerabilities exposed here. Paul and Barnabas. Paul's dogmatic, Barnabas more of a relational encourager. They both expose vulnerabilities, and we're going to see how some of those vulnerabilities got them in trouble. 
All right. Third, last principle for this passage, different ministry strategies and mission strategies, philosophies are not necessarily bad. So you have differing viewpoints on how to accomplish the mission, and it's not bad because diverse people basically need each other's strengths. And we need to be rich that way. If we were all the same, it'd be very boring, right? And so that's really the principles of the text. Let's read it. And when we come back, we're going to kind of, we're going to work through the text and we'll kind of touch on each one of these. Starting in verse 36. And after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, and the word some days there in the Greek, it, it, it means like an open-ended time, but generally it's a longer period of time. So remember what's happened. Okay, They just sent Paul and Silas back, not Paul and Silas, Judas and Silas, back to Jerusalem in peace. As they read the letter, they affirmed the letter from the Jerusalem council. And so now Paul and Barnabas are there teaching in Antioch. Why? Because they're going deep, building deep roots. That's important. They're, they're just following up with these guys and teaching them. And so it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. What is that, Brad? Yeah, it's follow-up, isn't it? It's not just evangelism. It's not just going out giving them the gospel and then leaving them. We, we have a responsibility, guys, to teach all that He's commanded, He said. Remember, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all. That, to teach requires time. It's not just giving them the gospel. Now, how many of you in this room trusted Jesus with no immediate follow-up? Raise your hand. That's me. You trusted Christ. You heard a gospel message. You trusted Jesus. What about you, Van? How long after you trusted Christ did somebody really start building into you and discipling you? It wasn't that long. I went to a couple of churches did you have somebody holding you accountable and, and talking to you all right that's discipleship though. that's what i'm talking about i'm not talking about learning information i'm talking about life on life where people are holding you accountable saying hey uh aaron how you doing this week in sharing the gospel with people how you doing with witnessing and, 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 and making disciples? Do you have guys you're thinking about, praying about? How long was it for you? Of course, I know you grew up in a Christian family. Yeah, I mean, my dad was pretty much doing that even before I was saved. Yeah. You guys don't realize how rare that is. It was years before somebody really discipled me. Years. Yeah. I guess it's 
And when was that? September. Jerry. Jerry. Uh, what year? Twenty twenty one. All right. And when did you start following Jesus? When did you? Eighty five. Well, I'd say that's a pretty long time, man. Thirty something. Yeah. That's that's, that's more the norm. That's more the norm. I'm still waiting to get a disciple. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Well, listen, the problem in our view of discipleship is it's a very Western view. It's about information. If I'm in a group and I'm getting, I'm around people and I'm seeing them, but, but we're talking about people asking you, hey, how you doing on your Bible reading? Are you really following through and spending time daily in the Word? You know, are we on mission together? Are we are we walking together through these issues of witnessing and 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 studying God's word so that we're approved, so that we know how to answer people? I mean, that that is very rare to get. But Paul is saying, Barnabas, we need to go do this. And and this follow-up. And and so it's a good thing that Paul suggests. And so what happens? Next, verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. John Mark. Why? Why did he want to take this young guy? It was his cousin. But why did he want to take him? But, I, I, I would say even bigger than that, he's thinking next generation leader. He's thinking, if we're going to go do this, we need to take and be training this young guy. And because he had failed back in Acts 13, because he bolted away from them, either because of Elemas and the whole thing with Paul and Elemas, or just maybe he didn't like Paul taking over. Maybe he was upset because his cousin kind of got displaced by Paul. We don't know exactly why, but we know he deserted the work, Paul says. He was thinking next generation leader of, think Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha. And he was his cousin. We know that from Colossians chapter 4. But Barnabas wanted to take him. Barnabas was an encourager. He's the guy, listen, if you're struggling because people at church are turning their backs on you, Barnabas is the guy that's going to come up in the midst of all of it, put his arms around you and say, it's going to be okay, we'll get through this. That's Barnabas. He's a very relational guy. Did that get him into trouble? It did get him into trouble. It got him into trouble in Acts chapter or in Galatians chapter 2. That relational component has a vulnerability. Just like every listen, to every good quality God gives you, there's a perverse part of it. So if God's blessed you like me, I, I'm an extrovert. I, I I go into a room and I want to meet everybody and I'll go up to them. I, I remember from a very young age, my mom still reminds me, used to when you were a kid, you'd go up to people, hi, my name's Doug McCary when I was like eight years old, just introducing myself to people. She said, that's always been you, just the way you are with people. I get excited to meet people. When I walk in a room and there's a lot of people, I get excited. I'm like, who am I going to meet in here today? Now, my wife is just the opposite. She goes into the room and there's a lot of people. She goes, I'm going to go over here to this side of the room. That's, but that's different personalities, right? That's just the way we're made differently. 
Barnabas was an encourager, a relational encourager. And he says, I I see value in John Mark. I want to help him work through his failure. But, verse 38, Paul said, Paul thought it best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul said no. He deserted the work. I can't make a future leader out of this guy. I'm not going to turn over ministry to this guy. I mean, and, and keep in mind, guys, this was a conflict not over biblical error, not over, met, I mean, really theology or something immoral. This was over methodology here. Keep that in mind. Because Barnabas is saying, I think we can invest in him and help him work through this. Paul's saying the mission is too important to risk somebody who's already failed. Do you understand? That's the battle. Barnabas was a gentle soul. Paul, very dogmatic in black and white. And I told you, relational encouragers are vulnerable. And what had happened before this? Well, if you go to Galatians 2, when Peter had gone up to Antioch, he had made a trip up there, and those Judaizers had put pressure on him saying, you can't be eating with Gentiles. And so Peter yielded to them in an effort not to offend them. And you know who else was right there? Barnabas. Instead of speaking the truth, Barnabas got sucked up into Peter's sin. And that happens because sometimes relational encouragers will sacrifice truth for the relationship. And we can't do that. That is wrong. Because what happened, Paul ends up confronting Peter and Barnabas. Why? This is where the dogmatic part is good. Where the dogmatic part says, listen, this is wrong what y'all are doing. You can't do this. And he confronted them about it. And later, Peter wrote about Paul in his letter in 2 Peter. He said he's a, a dear beloved brother. And so he received that from Paul. Now that must, must have been really hard. And you think about Paul had to be dogmatic to confront a guy like Peter. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Here Paul is, a Hellenistic Jew, not from the home country, He's a Roman citizen, which would have been looked down upon. He was a student of Gamaliel and a persecutor of the church, which would have been looked down upon and marginalized him. And yet, he's the only one that really confronted Peter. He confronted him and Barnabas. The guy who introduced him to the apostles really and made him acceptable. When you look at Barnabas, look at what Barnabas had done. Barnabas was what? God used Barnabas in so many ways. He was a native of Cyprus. He grew up in Cyprus. He was a Levite. Cyprus, by the way, was uh, a land full of, of figs and grapes and vineyards and stuff. And guess who had a plot of land there? Barnabas. And he sold that land back in Acts chapter 4 or 5. He sold that land to give the money to the people that were in need. 
because he didn't care about material things. That's the kind of guy Barnabas was. Barnabas was the kind of guy that when everybody else was running away from Paul, he goes up to him and says, guys, he's the real deal. Now, I, I thought about something as I was getting ready for this week that I hadn't really thought about much prior to now. <clears throat> when, but with everything going on over in Ukraine, it made me think about this, that when Paul went to Jerusalem, and he went there and he wanted to meet Peter and the apostles. He wanted to kind of go in there and say, guys, I've changed. I'm not the same guy I used to be. I'm so sorry. There were probably still orphans and widows from people he had had killed or put in jail. And I want you to imagine that for a second. People still grieving the loss of their families. And here this guy comes in and he wants to be accepted in our group. It's no wonder they were scared. And Barnabas goes in there and says, guys, he's real. And Barnabas, God used Barnabas to get acceptance by the apostles and give us the greatest theologian and really missionary that we've ever had other than Jesus himself. Paul is by far the greatest missionary and theologian in the whole New Testament. And so Barnabas was part of that. And then Barnabas in Acts 11, when he goes up, remember when they had this church in Antioch that was full of Gentiles and they were Hellenistic Jews and the church in Jerusalem sent up Barnabas to go check on them because they wanted to make sure that they were orthodox and they were doing the right things. So they sent Barnabas and it said he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. So Barnabas gets up there and he goes, wow, this is so over my head. I know who I'm going to go get. I'm going to go get Saul. So he goes to Tarsus, brings Saul back. And you've got to remember, Saul has already been preaching. Barnabas would have known how dogmatic Paul was. He would have known how strong of a leader he was. Brad, when you think of Joe White, do you think of a, a relational guy or a, a strong leader? I mean, he is relational, but he's a strong leader. If you don't do it Joe's way, you don't work with Joe. That's Joe's prerogative. That's his ministry mindset. So, he would have known that about Paul, but he goes and gets him anyway, realizing that when he brings Paul in the Bix, guess who's not the big shot anymore? Barnabas is not. He's much more behind the scenes. But he does it anyway. Because he valued the kingdom over his own personal ambition. That's really insightful about Barnabas when you stop and think about it. And so he gets Paul there. Then they go on these missionary journeys. And listen, I was in the military with guys. We had a SWAT team with guys where we had... I, I still remember, I'll see some guys that I served with and certain things that we did where it was really tough or we were in a tight spot. We remember those things. We have fond memories of being in very dangerous situations, but we did it together. Paul and Barnabas had that relationship. And so when they come back and these Judaizers come in, Paul and Barnabas are defending side by side against this. This is what makes this so painful. They were friends for over 15 years before this split. And then they get there and 
You can just hear the conversation. Come on, Paul. Listen, I know he messed up, but remember you messed up. Remember what you, you killed Christians, Paul. And Paul's saying, we cannot sacrifice the mission and take a chance on a young guy who's already beat feet and left us. He doesn't, he's not that committed. We don't have time to really invest in getting him ready. Besides, you remember that young guy, Timothy, we met? That's who I really want to stake my time on. Not this guy who's let us down. And, and so you can just hear the conversation. So you've got this dogmatic leader, this relational encourager going bam, 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 bam. Verse 39 says, And there arose a sharp disagreement. That word sharp disagreement there in the Greek is the word paroxymos. It's P-A-R-A-O, P-A-R-O-X-I-M-O-U-S. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. And it means provoked or irritable. Provoked or irritable. Have you ever been provoked by somebody? That's what that it says such a sharp disagreement arose so that they separated they left each other I can't do it anymore they separated guys dogmatic people get the most heated over methods over over, over their methods when uh, mission minded decisions are at play They get most heated when they're making a mission-minded decision. They're very focused on not failing. Brad, you've been around enough leaders where you know that's true. Dogmatic people are focused on not failing. And so the mission tends to drive things. And that's what was going on. Paul was provoked over his compromising the mission in his mind over what Barnabas was going to do. Barnabas was provoked and that Paul was abandoning the mission of grace for young John Mark. And so they had this huge disagreement. Listen, again, this is over methods. This is not over biblical error, theology, morality. This is over the method of how they accomplished the mission. And it says they separated. And where did Barnabas and John Mark go? Well, we read about it. It says Barnabas and took Mark with him and he sailed away to Cyprus. Where was Barnabas from? Cyprus. You ever had a disagreement and all you want to do is go home? He just wanted to go back to the land of familiar. He just wanted to go where he, he, he just, you know what? It was painful. If you've ever had an awkward separation, it is painful and hard to work through. And so he just goes to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Guys, that little phrase there is the same phrase used back in Acts um, 14 when it says, when they had been commended by the brothers, talking about Paul and Barnabas, But it seems to be like Luke might be hinting 
that the church might have sided with Barnabas, I mean with Paul on this, but it's not strong enough to make a strong case. So I'm telling you, it's interesting. I read about six or seven different commentaries about this. And, and when you read a commentary enough or you read through commentaries, you start to get a flavor for people. In other words, you start to get how their bent is. And some of these guys I know, I've actually met them. And what's funny to me is the guys who have a grace-oriented bent like Barnabas think Paul was wrong in their commentary. I'm not kidding you. They do. Paul was wrong. The dogmatic guys, Tommy Nelson and other guys, think Barnabas was wrong. Now, now they will say that Luke doesn't really speak to it, but it's funny when you read perspectives on this. Do we do that in life? You bet. We see things through our lens. But we got to remember, in the text, there's not really a lot of information given other than the fact that it does say, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That's talking specifically about Paul and Silas there. It says, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Who does it say went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches? Paul. Do you realize when he left, he went by himself? Where was Silas? What did we read last week? Where did Silas and Judas go in peace? They went back to Jerusalem. So even though Paul chose Silas, and by the way, do you know Silas was a Roman citizen too? And do you know why that's important? Because Paul was a Roman citizen. Barnabas wasn't. Paul, being a Roman citizen, would would probably not have wanted to use that citizenship in any way to get favor for himself to the exclusion of Barnabas. But because of Silas having Roman citizenship, they both could claim it and use it to the advantage of the kingdom. And that's the way Paul used it. He didn't use it for personal advantage. He used it for advantage of the kingdom. But it's interesting to me that he chose Silas, but when he left there, he left by himself and probably called for Silas to meet him. And he ended up picking up Timothy. By the way, how did Paul treat Timothy? We're going to read it in the next few weeks, but if you've read 2 Timothy, you understand. He was pretty gentle with Timothy. Pretty encouraging. And I wonder if maybe Barnabas influenced him a little bit. Maybe he thought, you know, we can't just throw these young guys to the wolves. We've got to guard them a little bit. So I think he did guard Timothy a little more than they may have guarded John Mark initially. So we see that they have different mission strategies, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Barnabas, and by the way, Barnabas goes with um, John Mark and they go one direction, they go to Cyprus, but they end up doing ministry because Paul later says he commends Barnabas in a, when he's talking to the church at Corinth and he says he speaks of him in a positive way. He speaks of John Mark in a positive way in Colossians 4 and in 2 Timothy at the end of 2 Timothy. And so we know that Different mission strategies aren't necessarily bad 
We need each other's strength. Barnabas is a fellow committed guy. He stayed faithful. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. He uses him as a positive example there. In Colossians 4.10, Paul says, Welcome Mark. Welcome John Mark. So this is way after this. 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, when Paul's at the end of his life, he says, listen, Timothy, everybody's deserved me. Get, get Mark and bring him. Bring him with you. You know why he said that? He's useful to me for ministry. So they were faithful. So how does that impact you and me? Well, ministry strategy and philosophy disagreements happen all the time. Not over error, not over moral sin, not over um, you know, what the Bible says about philosophy of the church. It's usually over the best way to attack or accomplish something. People with different approaches, different ideas just clash. And I want to give you some examples. Some church ministries don't believe that you should separate on Sundays. You just come in with your whole family. You come in and you listen to the music. You listen to the worship music and you you get there with your family. You listen to the message together and then you leave. That's how you ought to do the gathering every week. And they're very strong in the way they teach that and they, they believe it's wrong for you to break up into small groups and maybe have a Sunday school or maybe have a youth group. And let your kids go in one direction. They think you ought to all be together. That's just a different approach. Some churches run on a CEO business model. They, they run their whole church on a business model. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the CEO model. I don't think it's a biblical model. Style-wise, I think it was more of a shepherd model. But there's a lot of churches that run that way. And I, I think, I think that we're, they're still trying to figure out whether that's an effective way or not because there's lots of issues with that. There's different views about discipleship. Some people believe in one-on-one. Some people believe in one-on-two. Some people believe in group, small group discipleship. Some churches have very strict membership rules. Like, they want you to be committed, not... They don't make it a part of salvation, but they say if you're going to be part of this church, you've got to adhere to these rules. We want people that are committed. <laughs> I think driving through Mississippi, sometimes you'll see on these old churches, uh, they, you know, they put those little sign things up. Visitors, welcome. Members expected. <laughs> In other words, miss three Sundays, you're off the rolls. You're out of here. You're not part of our church anymore. But some churches believe in that very strongly. Some people believe in a seeker-driven form of worship where every week when you gather, it's an evangelistic outreach rather than a gathering of the saints to be fed, nurtured, and encouraged to go out and reach the world. And I think Bill Hybel spoke pretty clearly that a few years ago when he repented. He was one of the modern-day guys who started that, and he repented. So I think the jury has come back on that. That's really not an effective way to continue the work of the church. What about speaking out on moral issues, election issues? Some people say, well, the church shouldn't be involved in that. Well, if you look at John the Baptist, he spoke out on moral issues with Herod, 
Right? John the Baptist. Huh? John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Did I say, who did I say? John. John the Baptist. Yeah, John the Baptist did that. I'm just saying that as we represent Christ and we are leading and shepherding a body, I think it's important for us to speak to those. Some people feel like it's not. So if you want to go to a soft, fluffy church, you can go to a soft, fluffy church. I mean, that's just, but that's, that's a philosophy difference, right? What about video or flat screen pastors? Multi-sites. You go to different places and see a guy up on a screen. I struggle with that just on a personal level. I believe there's a special shepherding relationship between a pastor and his sheep and the Bible of one-on-one connection. But there's people that do it all over this country. It's a, it's a growing thing. I disagree with it. I would never get somebody who does that and put them up here to teach you about church. Now, I might let them teach you about something else. But if we're going to talk about the way the church ought to go, I'm not going to let them get up here because I don't believe in that and I think it would be divisive. And so we all can run on different tracks and not demonize people who have different views. And I remember meeting with a a local guy here who has that kind of a ministry, not with him, but with people that know him very well and served him on his staff very early on. And I suggested that maybe they could be different because it it was obvious where this church was going. They didn't bite off on it. And so I said, well, that's par for the course, I guess. That's just what it is. And I got upset about it because I'm just like, come on, why, why why not do things different? Don't fall into the same old model. And, um, I began to be resentful as I watched it because I just didn't like the model. And I can honestly say I listened to the pastor preach. I didn't necessarily like the style sometimes, but he never said anything unbiblical. Everything I heard him preach was biblical. It was just a matter of preference. And it really bothered me, oh, at times. And I can remember starting to have a bad attitude about him. And so much so that he was speaking at a, a, an event here in town, downtown, with another pastor that I, I really like a lot. And one of the guys wanted invited me to come to this gathering down there where they were speaking. And I didn't want to go because this other guy was going to be there. Just being honest, this is the ugly side of me, right? And so I didn't want to go. So I'm at SWAT in Mandarin on this Thursday. It's a Thursday morning thing. And I, I remembered this guy called me and said, hey, are you coming? You coming? And I'm like, well, I guess I'll come because I want, I want to hear this other guy. So I left. I still remember where I was. I was over the university railroad bridge there, right there on University Drive where it goes over the railroad tracks. And it was like God just tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, he's mine. He's preaching my truth. He's a kingdom priest. Why do you have such a problem with him? Just because he's different than you. Maybe he has a different view than you. I was really convicted to the point of repentance. On that bridge, as I'm in traffic, I'm like, just, okay, God, man, that was so messed up. I know that was wrong. And, and I felt like a burden lifted. So I go to this event, and I'm in the back, 
And he's up front. He just finished speaking. The other guy had already spoken. And so he's walking to the back, and I see him walking toward me. This guy that I had such animosity in my mind towards. And he sees the SWAT shirt, and he goes, um, well, what does SWAT stand for again? I said, Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. But I just like, I didn't want to be in conversation. I was just answering his question. And, and he said, Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. And I said, yeah. And I said, when I was in the Bureau, I was on the SWAT team, and I just wanted to bring that camaraderie to ministry. He goes, cool, cool. I said, well, you know, several Bible studies, and we do a daily radio program. He goes, I know, I listen to you guys. I go, you do? He goes, yeah, you guys rock. I'm like, okay, Lord, okay. Just rub it in. Just rub it in. And and I, I remember saying, hey, well, maybe you could be on sometime and we could just talk to you about ministry and stuff. And he said, that'd be great. But then he did something else. He asked me about my family, and I told him about Abby and Becca and my daughters with Down syndrome and stuff and how it makes it hard on Sundays. He goes, you know what? We're just starting a special needs ministry at our church. Why don't you just drop your kids off at our church and then go to your church? Or in fact, just drop them off, go on a date with your wife, whatever you want to do, but just, it's there. You know, just take advantage of it. And I thought, wow, what a kingdom way to think. You know, not taking away from His people at all, just serving people. And so, when we think about these kind of issues, when we have clashes with people, a couple of things. One, we just sometimes need to agree to disagree. You know what? Don't demonize the people. Just We have a difference in the way we view how we ought to accomplish this. And if we're equal, if we're equal, in other words, there may be times that we can't in our conviction do it, but don't demonize the person because you have a different approach than they do. Second, don't get angry and slander or retaliate against them. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is His glory, it is His glory to overlook a matter. That's a really wise saying. Good sense makes it be slow to anger and it is to His glory to overlook a matter. So as we think about what happened, just remember that God used what happened with Paul and Barnabas and still brought glory to His name. He just split the stream, if you will, of how they would minister, but they were both still faithful in ministry. And I, I think that's an important thing for us to, to remember. They didn't demonize each other afterwards. And that's, that's a really easy thing for us to do. So, um, hey, um, I'll ask uh, Chuck, do you mind closing us in prayer? And then we, if you guys want to talk afterwards, you want to ask some questions, that'd be great.